have you ever missed something that was incredibly obvious? Like something right in front of your face, right in front of your eyes, but you, you just didn't see it? You know, like when you're looking for your sunglasses and you're tearing your heart house apart, you're looking under the couch, you're looking in the freezer, you're looking in the microwave, you're, you're trying to find your sunglasses and the entire time they're sitting on top of your, your head. That happened to anybody? Or, or, or you're trying to find your car keys and you're digging through, through your car, you're, 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 you're digging through your laundry, you're asking your spouse, have you seen them? You think your, your kids took them? You're calling the last store that you're at to see if they have your keys even though you drove your car home. And then you realize they're in my pocket. Or has your wife ever sent you to the grocery store on a, on a Saturday and she's got some weird marinade dressing thing that she needs and you're on the aisle with all the stuff and you're just staring at it and you're there for about 10 minutes and you call your wife and you're like, it's, it's not here. And she says, I'm looking on my phone. It's in stock there. And you're, you're staring at it. And after 10 minutes later, you realize it's been right in front of your eyes the entire time. That didn't happen yesterday. You know, I think we all have things in life that we just don't see, that we miss, that are, that are very obvious. You see, I think the same thing can happen when it comes to, to our spiritual life. It can happen in our, our, our faith. I think there's times in our life where we, we miss Jesus. Like Jesus is working, Jesus is moving, he's active in our life, and we just don't see him. We don't notice him. And it's not because he's hiding from us. It's not because he's on some covert mission. It's not because he's disconnected and distant from us. In fact, oftentimes he's making himself very obvious to us. But we have things in our life that keep us from seeing him clearly and cause us to miss what he's doing in our life and through our life. Now, this morning, we are wrapping up our teaching series called Miracles of Jesus. And today, we're actually going to be picking up where we left off last week. So if you have your Bibles, if you've got the Bible app on your phone, I'd encourage you to open up to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, that's where we're going to be spending our time uh, today. And last week, what we saw is that Jesus traveled back home to, to Galilee. He had been down in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover, and he travels back to Galilee, and while he's there, he comes across this man, this, this royal official. We don't know a whole lot about him, but this guy finds Jesus, and he has a son who, who's incredibly sick. He's on the, the, the verge of death, and he begins to, to plead and to beg with Jesus, please heal my son. I need you to come back home with me. We need to go immediately. I need you to come home and to heal my son before he dies. And Jesus, he looks at this man and he says, go, your son will live. He says, I'm not going to go back with you. I'm not going to do exactly what you want me to, but your son will be healed. And this man was forced to make a decision. Am I going to trust what Jesus has told me? Am I going to believe him? Am I going to have faith? And it says that this man took Jesus at his word. He believed, he trusted him, he had faith, and as a result, his son was healed. And this was the second sign that we find in the Gospel of John. You see, throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is performing these different signs, these different miracles. 
And the purpose of these signs, it wasn't to, to entertain people. It wasn't trying to wow people. The purpose wasn't to, to draw a crowd, to draw a, a following. The purpose of these signs was to validate the claims of Jesus, to prove that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, that he was indeed the, 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 the son of God. He was making these claims about himself, and he was using these signs, these miracles, to prove you can trust me. I am who I say I am. And in John chapter five, starting in verse one, the story continues, it says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So Jesus, he travels back to Jerusalem. And all throughout his ministry, you see Jesus bouncing back and forth between Galilee and, and Jerusalem. And while he's there, he stops at this pool called Bethesda. And, and I want you to notice here how specific John is about where Jesus go. He doesn't just say, hey, he went to, to this place in Jerusalem. No, he's incredibly specific. He says this, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, surrounded by five covered colonnades. And you see, these details, they help prove the credibility of John's gospel account. He's saying, you can go check this place out. The original people who were hearing this and reading this, they knew exactly what John is talking about. In fact, this place that John was writing about, it has been discovered and excavated by, by archaeologists. This was a, a real historical site that Jesus was visiting. And listen to what it says in verse 3 when Jesus was there. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So here at this pool in, in, in Jerusalem, disabled people would be dropped off at the beginning of the day. And they would lay here by this pool all day long until at the end of the day, a friend or a family member would come and, and pick them up, hopefully, and, and take them back home. And why is that? Why, why are they all congregating here? Why are they all hanging out by this pool? Well, there was this, this belief, this, this myth, that every once in a while an angel would come down from heaven, the angel would stir the waters, they would bubble up, and whoever got into the water first would be healed. Now, what they've discovered is there's actually two springs underneath the ground there that would cause the, the water to bubble. There wasn't an angel coming down and, and stirring it, but this was this, this myth that they believed in and were hoping was true. But you see, at this time, there, there was no special care or special attention for, for these people. These people, they were seen as, as outcasts in society. Many of these people, they were neglected and abandoned by their families. They'd be dropped off here and left for several days at a time. And the people who lived in Jerusalem, they knew to avoid this place. Like this wasn't a place you went and visited. This wasn't a place that you, you passed by. People avoided it. And I, I think you can imagine just how heartbreaking of a sight this would have been. All these people just, just laying by this pool in desperate need of help hoping that this angel is going to come down and, and stir the waters. People avoided this place, but Jesus purposely visited, purposely stepped into this place that others avoided. And listen to what it says in verse 5. 
one who was there at the pool had been an invalid for 38 years. So out of all the people there at the pool, there's this one man that stands out, stands out to Jesus, one man that, that catches his attention. And it's this guy who has been disabled for 38 years. And that's pretty significant because in those days, the average life expectancy was maybe mid-30s, late-30s at the, the latest. This guy has been alive and been disabled for 38 years. And I want you to imagine just the, the sense of hopelessness this man must have felt. Like day after day, month after month, year after year, he has gone and laid by this pool every day, hoping and waiting for a miracle, and nothing has ever happened. He's probably come to accept the fact that this is how I'm going to spend the rest of my life, ignored, abandoned, and left here at this pool, and nothing is ever gonna change. But on this day, Jesus steps into his life. And look at what verse six says. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? So it's Jesus, he singles this man out of the crowd. We're not told why, possibly because he's the oldest there or he had been there the longest, but Jesus picks him out of the crowd. And I imagine Jesus is having to, to step over a bunch of people, a bunch of other people who were in just as much need to get to this man. And he approaches this man that's been ignored by others, abandoned by others, and he leans in close and he asks him this question, do you wanna get well? Do you wanna get better? And I'm sure this guy's thinking, duh. Like, what kind of question is that? Do I want to get well? Yes, I want to get well. What do you think I'm doing here? Just laying around. You think I'm here trying to get a tan by the pool? Of course I want to get well. I, 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 I want to get better. I've been like this for years. Listen to how he replies in verse 7. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He's saying, look, guy, I, I don't know who you are, but I've been trying to get better for years. That, that's why I'm here. But every time the water is stirred, there's this mad dash to try to get into the water. And my legs don't work right. I'm, I have to army crawl there, and I don't have anybody to help me. Yes, I want to get better. Yes, I want to get well. But it's, it's, it's not for a lack of trying. I just have run out of options. And look at how Jesus responds to him. He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. So Jesus, he doesn't try to argue with him. He doesn't try to convince him. He doesn't even ask him to believe or to have faith. He simply looks at him and says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And in that instant, as Jesus spoke, this man who has been disabled for 38 years, his legs have not worked. In that moment, his legs began to work. He felt strength in his legs. He stands up for the first time in his life, and he carries his mat. It's this incredible miracle. And what you see through the Gospel of John is each sign gets more and more impressive. First, you see Jesus turning water into wine. Pretty cool. Then last week, you know, we see Jesus, you know, healing a, a, a kid who was sick. 
Now Jesus is healing a man who has been disabled for 38 years simply by saying a word, simply by speaking. He's instantly healed. But this is where the story takes a bit of a, a twist, a bit of a turn. Listen to what it says in, in the end of verse nine. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. It was a Sabbath. And listen, Jesus didn't forget what day of the week it was. This was an accident. Jesus wasn't like, oh man, it's the Sabbath. I forgot it's Saturday. No, no, no. Jesus knew what he was doing. He could have easily shown up the day before. He could have easily shown up the day after. But Jesus purposely showed up on the Sabbath to heal this man. And why is he doing that? He's stirring the pot. He's firing some shots at the religious leaders trying to get their attention and saying, do you realize who I am? Do you realize that your little rules don't apply to me? He's stirring the pot. He's firing a shot at these religious leaders. And look at what happens in verse 10. And so, of course, the Jewish leaders, they said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. I want you to imagine this. These religious leaders see this man who has been disabled for 38 years, and I believe they, they know who he is. He's been there for a long time. They see him walking for the first time in his life, and the first thing they say to him is, I can't believe you're carrying that mat. How dare you break the law of the Sabbath? Like a miracle has just happened right in front of their eyes and they don't even care. Why is that? Why, why are they so concerned? Because this man has broken one of their rules. He's broken one of their laws. You see, these religious leaders, they had taken the Old Testament commandments and there were a lot of them. And what they did was they multiplied them by 10. And they came up with all of these extra rules, all of these extra laws, and it was referred to as the oral law. And the oral law, it was passed on from generation to generation to just the religious elite. Like your, your average ordinary citizen had no idea what it was, but the oral law was seen as being just as authoritative as the scriptures. And these religious leaders, they held up this oral law and they used it as a way to control people, to manipulate, to maintain power over them. It was incredibly legalistic. And it was frustrating for the average person because there was no way for them to possibly know all of the commands, all of the rules. And these religious leaders, they had taken the original commandment from the Old Testament, which was to honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And the way you did that was by not working, which I think is you know, pretty clear. Don't work, don't do anything to, to try to earn money. God is trying to teach them, hey, rely on me rather than yourself. They took this very simple command and they created 39 different categories of work that were forbidden. Like more than anybody could possibly memorize. And one of those categories of work that was forbidden was that you could not carry a load from one place to another. So here comes this guy. 
walking for the first time in his life. I'm sure he's a little wobbly, trying to figure out how his legs work. He's been healed. There's been a miracle. He's carrying this mat, and it's the only thing they're concerned about. Why are you carrying the mat? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? And the punishment for breaking the law of the Sabbath was that you would be stoned to death. So this guy's just been healed, and now he's about to be stoned for carrying a mat. So, of course, he has some objections. Listen to how he replies in verse 11. He says, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He's saying, it's it's not my fault. The guy who healed me told me to. And what do you expect me to do? Ignore him? I mean, he, he gave me my legs back. Like, this isn't my fault. I'm simply doing what this guy told me to do. What do you expect from me? So they asked him, Well, then who is this fellow who told you to pick up the mat? Give us his name. Give us his address. We'll go talk to him. We'll go deal with him. And the guy starts to think, I don't know who it was. I never got a name. I never got his email address. I have no idea who who it is. Verse 13 says this, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, no idea who had healed him, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse 14, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something may worse, worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders, he went and tattled on him, that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, this is one of the most interesting healing miracles in, in all the gospel accounts. And, and I just wanna point out uh, so, that, so, so that we realize how different, how unique this healing is from, from the other ones that, that Jesus performed. You see, typically when somebody would want to be healed, they would go and they would track down Jesus. They would call out to him. They would travel miles. Like last week, we saw the guy. He traveled 20 miles to find Jesus. But here, for some reason, Jesus goes and finds this man. Here, Jesus picks this man out of a crowd. Oftentimes when we read about Jesus being in a crowd, he would perform many miracles. He would heal many people who were sick. But for whatever reason, all these people who are in desperate need of a miracle, Jesus picks just this one man. Typically, people would ask to be healed. They would ask God, they would ask Jesus to do something for him. But here, Jesus asked this man, do you want to be healed? Typically, people would believe in Jesus. They would have faith in in response to that belief, in response to that faith, then Jesus would heal. But here, there's no evidence of faith. There's no evidence of belief. Jesus just heals him. And typically, when Jesus would heal somebody, he would send them on their way, say, don't say anything about me, and he would never run into them again. But Jesus tracks this man down a second time to tell him who he is. What's going on here? This is a very unique miracle. Jesus is being incredibly intentional with this man. He's making himself known to him. He's displaying his power in his life. He's trying to say, hey, here I am. I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. He's making himself so obvious to this man. And he completely misses it. He doesn't see Jesus 
for who he actually is. And he doesn't see Jesus for what he's actually offering him. And you see, just like this man, I think we can often miss Jesus in our lives. We miss how Jesus is at, at, at work and how he's moving in our life. We miss how, how he's trying to, to grow us and to stretch us and to transform us. We miss how he's trying to call us to, to greater faith, to greater obedience. Like he's right in front of us. He's making himself obvious. And we just don't see him. Because we have things in our life that keep us from seeing him clearly. So what are some of those things? What keeps us from seeing Jesus in our life? What keeps us from seeing Jesus clearly in our life? I wanna look at three things this morning from this story that can keep us from seeing Jesus in our life. And I believe that they have incredible relevance for our life today. The first one is this is that our circumstances in life can keep us from seeing Jesus. Now I want you to think back to the beginning of, of the story. This guy has been disabled for 38 years. He's in a, a, an awful situation, a hopeless situation. And Jesus approaches him and asks him this simple question, do you wanna get well? Like God in flesh is standing right in front of this man, offering him the chance to be healed, offering him a miracle. And all he can think about, all he is concerned about is that he can't get into the water. That he can't fix the problem on himself. Uh, himself. He doesn't see Jesus for who he actually is. He doesn't see Jesus for, for what he's actually offering him because his circumstance, his situation, was bigger in his eyes than Jesus was. And he ends up being healed, but not because of great faith, not because of trust or belief, he's healed entirely because of Jesus's initiative in his life. You see, if we aren't careful, I think our, our circumstances, our, our situations that we find ourselves in, they can keep us from seeing Jesus in our life. And, and rather than seeing the situation that we're in through, through God's perspective, we oftentimes look at God through the perspective of our problem, through the perspective of our situation. And when we do that, our problem becomes really big and God becomes really small in our life. And we miss how God is working in and through the situation we find ourselves in. You see, God is often most at work in our trials. He's often most at work in our difficult seasons of life. That's when he's trying to, to grow us. That's when he's trying to stretch us. That's when he's trying to transform us, which means that we have to change our perspective. Rather than, than viewing God through the lens of our, our circumstance and our problem, we need to begin to view our problem through God's perspective and to see how God is at work in our life, how God is, is using this situation in our life. God needs to be bigger than our problem. God needs to be in greater focus than the situation that we find ourselves in. So the next time that you find yourself in, in a difficult season, 
you find yourself in in an overwhelming situation. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe it's a, a family thing. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a work thing. But you're in a situation where you're just overwhelmed and your problem seems so big and it's keeping you from seeing what God is trying to do in your life. Here are some, some helpful questions that you can ask yourself to refocus and to see Jesus in the middle of your problem. The first one is this. What is God trying to teach me through this? Like, what lesson does he want me to learn from this? This isn't wasted. God is trying to use this in my life. What is God trying to teach me? Another question is this. How is God growing my faith and trust in him? How is God using this problem, this situation in my life, to cause me to depend and to rely on him in a greater way, to increase my level of trust and faith in him, despite the fact that I'm in a situation that seems completely overwhelming? How is God refining my character? Are there virtues, are there fruit of the spirit that God is trying to produce and develop in my life through this situation? Is he trying to teach me greater patience? Is he trying to develop perseverance in my life? Is he trying to teach me greater empathy and compassion for other people? What is God trying to teach me? And what blind spots is God trying to reveal? Is there a blind spot in my faith uh, maybe a hidden sin, some, some, some impure motives? Is there something in my life that God is trying to reveal to me, that God is trying to make painfully obvious? And he's using this situation, he's using this circumstance to get my eyes off of my problem and on to him. If we're not careful, the situation, the problems we find ourselves in can keep us from seeing Jesus in our life. Second thing is this, our blessings. Our blessings can keep us from seeing Jesus. You see, this man is healed by Jesus. He experiences this this incredible blessing, and it says that Jesus, he slips away into the crowd. He disappears. But notice, this man never goes and tries to find him. He has no interest in trying to figure out the name of the guy who healed him. He never goes and tracks him down. In fact, Jesus comes and finds him a second time at the temple. Jesus tracks him down again. And unlike so many of, other, of, of Jesus' other healing miracles, there is no evidence of saving faith from this man. There's no evidence of, of, of belief and trust in Jesus. He received his blessing from Jesus and he simply went on with his life. He went on in, in, in his own way. He experienced a physical healing, but he didn't receive a spiritual healing. And as a result, he missed out on what he needed most, which was not a miracle, it was a relationship with Jesus. You know, this story reminds me a lot of a, another healing miracle in, in Luke chapter 17. Listen to what it says. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Here are guys who are calling out and asking for healing. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them 
when he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, an enemy of the Jewish people. And Jesus asked him, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. All 10 lepers experienced a physical healing, but only one experienced a spiritual healing. And you see, just like the man in the story and just like these nine lepers, our blessings in life can often keep us from seeing our desperate need for Jesus. Because when we have all of our physical needs met, and I think for, for, for most of us in here, that, that, that's a reality. Like most of us aren't thinking about where are we gonna get another meal? Where are we gonna sleep tonight? How are we gonna get, get, get somewhere? What, what's the transportation situation gonna be? How are we gonna pay our mortgage? How are we gonna pay our rent? Like we are incredibly blessed. Most of us are not worried about our physical needs. And when that's the case, man, it's easy for us to, to stop depending on God to stop relying on him, to stop seeing him as the only one who can meet our greatest needs in life. And what happens is we end up placing our hope and our blessings rather than in Jesus. You see, it's so important that every single day we remind ourselves of our desperate need for Jesus that he is the only one in this world, the only one in this life who can give us what we need most. He's the only one who can provide us with peace. Like when this world is just chaos around us, is brokenness around us, he is the only one who can provide us with lasting peace. He's the only one who can provide us with, with true joy, joy that isn't tied to our situation or our problem, our emotions, but true joy because of who we are in Christ. He's the only one who can provide us with true purpose, purpose that doesn't just matter here on earth, but purpose that matters for eternity. He's the only one who can provide us with, with forgiveness, unconditional love. But when we take our physical blessings and we hold them tightly, and we begin to place our hope in them, our physical blessings end up becoming spiritual blinders. And they keep us from seeing Jesus in our life. They keep us from seeing our need for him. Our circumstances can keep us from seeing Jesus. Our blessings in life can keep us from seeing him. And finally, our religion. Our religion can keep us from seeing Jesus. You see, it wasn't just the, the man in the story who was healed that missed Jesus. It was the religious leaders as well. The ones who knew the scriptures the best. The ones who followed all the rules. The ones who seemed to be most connected, who seemed closest to God. But listen to how the story finishes in, in, in verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things, he was healing people on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to do this very, to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. 
Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Because Jesus healed on the Sabbath, because Jesus didn't follow their religious system and all their rules, because Jesus didn't fit in their little religious box of who God should be and how God should act, they refused to see Jesus as their Messiah. They refused to see him as the Son of God. And instead, it says, they became determined to kill him. They couldn't see who Jesus was because of their religious system, their religious box. And Jesus, he called them out on their spiritual blindness. Listen to what he said. He says, you study the scriptures so diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. You know the Old Testament, you know the law, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. These religious leaders, they miss the forest through the trees. Like they, they knew the scriptures better than anybody but they missed the fact that all of the scriptures were ultimately pointing to Jesus. Their religious system, their religious rules kept them from seeing who Jesus was, and as a result, they never received everlasting life from him. You know, the word religion, it it gets a bad rap in in church world, especially evangelical church world. We talk about, you know, it's it's a relationship. It's it's not about a religion. But you see, the Bible doesn't always speak of religion being a, a bad thing. In fact, in James, it talks about a a, a type of religion that that God approves of, that God accepts as pure and holy. Like, religion itself isn't inherently bad. The issue is when our religious systems that we create are elevated over who Jesus actually is. The problem is when we try to fit Jesus into our little religious box, a box that makes sense to us and that we can understand, a box that we can control and manipulate, a box that makes us feel comfortable and safe, a box that makes Jesus small. And what are some of those boxes? You know, for some of us, it's our our theological systems, our theological beliefs, not about core things, about the inerrancy of the Bible or Jesus being God's son, but all those extra things, the end times doctrine, all the isms, all these extra things that, that we're so tied to. And what happens is when we're so tied to our theological system that allows us to make perfect sense of the God of the universe, he fits neatly in our little system that anytime we're encountered with Jesus working or moving or doing something that doesn't fit in our little system, we refuse to see it because it doesn't fit. Or our church practices. Our church practices can be these little boxes that we fit Jesus in, our, our preference and, and worship style, our preference and, and preaching style, our preference and, and feel and how loud the music is and how bright the lights are. And unless church is operating within this little box, well then Jesus couldn't possibly be moving here. Jesus couldn't possibly be working because it doesn't fit within my box of who Jesus is and how Jesus should act. Our spiritual disciplines can be boxes we try to put Jesus in. Like Jesus, we have 30 minutes in the morning 
where I'm gonna read my Bible and I'm gonna pray. That's your appointment time with me. I need you to fit it all in there because the rest of the day, I'm gonna go and live my life. I need you to fit within my little devotional time. I need you here in this box, something I can control, something I understand. Listen, when our religious systems become greater than Jesus, we begin to to, to not see clearly. Jesus becomes small and we miss who he is and what he's trying to do in our life. So I I just wonder this morning, what is keeping you from seeing Jesus in your life? from seeing who he truly is, from seeing how he's working, from seeing how he's trying to grow you and stretch you and call you to to deeper faith and obedience. Is it a circumstance in life? Like you're in a situation right now that just seems overwhelming and all you can see in front of you is the problem and Jesus is, is, is right there, but you can't see clearly because you're so focused on the problem. Is it some kind of blessing in your life? Financial success? family, career success. You have all these blessings, but you're so consumed with them that you're missing the fact that what you need most is Jesus, that he's the only one who can give you what you need most. Is it your religious systems? Not that you're not a believer, but you have this way of how you expect God to behave and to work. And when he doesn't fit in that box, you're not interested. Maybe it's something different. Maybe it's a relationship in your life. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's just daily distractions. But what is keeping you from seeing Jesus in your life? What are those distractions? What are those spiritual blinders? First, we've got to become aware of them. We've got to recognize them. And hopefully today, God is bringing those things to your mind. He's he's opening your eyes. He's helping you to see them. You've got to become aware. Then you have to acknowledge it. You've got to own it. You've got to confess it. You've got to ask for forgiveness. You've got to repent. You've, you, you, you've got to turn from it. And then you've got to ask Jesus for his help. 